Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Inside Envy podcast. In this episode, we go into depth about our new foundation collection. Uh, in the first hour, we cover primarily the road collection, so the new Envy 45 and 65. If you have no interest in shaved legs, lycra, and aerodynamics, skip to hour number two, or about an hour, five minutes into the podcast, we dive into the mountain side of things a little bit closer. So if you want to hear that, skip to the mountainside at the end and otherwise enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the Inside Envy podcast. It has been a while since we have not gotten together to uh, have a conversation about all things Envy or some things Envy. So, but recently we've had a uh, an important and for us exciting product launch. We recently launched the Foundation Collection, which is for Envy our first foray into a more accessible price point um, to Envy to an MB wheel set. Uh, with, with us on the podcast today, we've got uh, Mr. Neil Shirley. Hello. Hello, Neil. Got our amazing design engineer for all things wheels, Clint Child. Hey, guys. And the ever handsome and extremely talented self-taught <laughs> sound engineer, Mr. <laughs> AJ Pedal-Turner. Hello. And he has a voice for radio <laughs> and a face for TV. <laughs> full package <laughs> you're uh you're wasting your talent <laughs> probably <laughs> um so anyway yeah it's been a it's been a few crazy weeks you know the the launch of our foundation collection is one that was actually uh, supposed to happen some weeks ago and and frankly we would be in the throes of the launch um as it relates to Seattle classic because i believe we would be there today if we were in a normal environment yeah we would have just finished our uh big media ride down down the coast from San Francisco to, to Monterey and then be standing in a booth right now and getting to engage with so many of our customers and would-be customers. Well, the good news is we didn't have to ride 140 miles. I don't know if that's good news, but... <laughs> Either way, since it's snowing outside this morning. Well, you know, it's, it's that's, rough. That's, in, that's in Utah. It's rough yes. when you're in Utah and uh, winter lasts seven months of the year sometimes. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, we, we, we missed the opportunity to go to Sea Otter to uh, engage with a lot of our customers, see our friends in the industry, and of course uh, have that opportunity to meet with people one-on-one to um, show off our, our new products. But again, you know, we're grateful for what we have and we're grateful that we have had the opportunity to launch the wheels. You know, uh, the original plan, like I said, was for us to launch several weeks ago. Um, we, we took a few weeks and pushed the launch to evaluate, you know, the environment, see what's going on in the marketplace, see how we, we wanted to make sure that launching the wheels wouldn't come across as tone deaf and um, sort of insensitive. And we... We realized, you know, at the end of the day, we have um, our employees that we're responsible to. And, uh, of course, you know, the, the retail partners we have, many of whom still have open shops and in some areas have been deemed as essential due to the fact that they service bicycles and modes of transportation. And anyway, we, we feel it is 
you know, we felt that it is our responsibility to keep the stoke high, to keep people excited about riding, um, promoting and promoting the healthy lifestyle that cycling is and can be. And, you know, with that, we, you know, encourage everybody to continue uh, supporting, you know, supporting your local bike shop, getting out on your bike um, in a safe manner, you know, respecting the social distancing orders that have been, uh, or instructions that have been handed down from local and from local authorities and, you know, to ride responsibly at this time. But um, yeah, we're, 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 we launched the foundation collection last week and for all intents and purposes, um, I feel it was a successful launch and has been well received. And so since we've launched uh, this new line of wheels, we've had a variety of questions and comments and feedback from the marketplace that is, or that is or has been um, addressed in some platforms, but we feel like the podcast is another area where we can kind of dive deep and, and discuss some of the finer points of all things foundation. So, you know, we encourage you if you haven't, uh, if you don't have a sort of base knowledge of what the foundation is, you know, jump onto the NB website and check out the landing pages. There's uh, lots of good information there that really outlines what these new wheels are. Um, but I can also give us a brief little rundown here. You know, for Envy, the foundation collection is our, as I mentioned earlier, our first foray into a more price price point uh, carbon wheel set. Um, you know, over the years we've had many requests, um, and we've 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 tried various manners to bring the price of an Envy wheel set down to make it a little more accessible for a broader uh, for a broader um, cross section of the market. You know, Envy's never had the goal of being. Um, an exclusive brand we've always wanted to make a premium performance product and the price has always been what it is based on those um based on the requirements to make it uh but you know as we've seen the marketplace grow as we've seen more and more competitors come into the marketplace um we and also as we've evolved and um expanded our capabilities ourselves here at envy we've seen opportunity that is now uh that is we saw the opportunity present itself that we do have a path and a way to, you know, make a more, uh, price, um, price, uh, or mid price point performance carbon wheels. And so we saw a clear path of how to do that. Um, cause in the past, you know, we've, we've approached, we, we've tried different things. Primarily we've, we've attempted to take price out of the wheel sets um, by, you know, downgrading hubs and spokes. And while it has been successful, in the terms of, you know, it does help move the price down. It hasn't necessarily moved the needle far enough um, to make the Envy technology available to more people in their budgets. Um, at the same time, you know, majority of Envy customers really want the best. And so we, we haven't, we've always sort of met those downgraded hub options or downgraded hub and spoke combinations uh, to sort of lackluster, um, response or acceptance, meaning we just haven't really been that successful selling those. Most people would rather, at least the typical Envy customer has historically just been willing to pay uh, more for the best hub and the best spoke that we um, put in the put in our rims. Uh, so the foundation collection is completely different in that it is not trickle down um, technology in the form that it's not a, it's not a former um, premium wheel set model that is now just being sold at a lower price point. It's not an old mold that we've repurposed. Um, it's not, you know, an old rim model that we were selling 
at our $2,500 price point, and now we're just repurposing it at a lower price point. We've always felt that that's a little bit of a disingenuous way to approach um, meeting lower price points. And so what we really said is we need a ground-up development to create what we believe is the absolute best-in-class um, wheel models we can make at this $1,600 price point uh, and you know, to compete head-to-head with any of the other wheels that are in the same price point and even um, wheel sets that are priced higher than the foundation collection is. And so today we, today we have the foundation collection available. It consists of two road wheel models, um, the NV45, the NV65, and one mountain wheel model, which is the AM30. Uh, if those of you that have been with NV4, you know, since our edge days and, and since, you know, the early days, uh, know that our original wheel models were, those were our original wheel depths and models. We had, you know, the the edge in NV45 and 65 or 1.45, 1.65. Uh, those were the first two road wheel models that really put us on the map. And on the mountain bike side of things, the original NV All Mountain or AM was, you know, the wheel that really kicked it all off in terms of being the first everyday rideable you know, everyday durable carbon mountain wheel. It was the wheel that sort of showed the cycling aftermarket that carbon didn't need to be a race day only or even a cross-country only type of product, but that it could and had um, merits in all mountain and trail and eventually downhill applications as well. So with the foundation collection, we're definitely giving a nod to the past and the wheel models that um, set us down the path that we're on today. And the naming of the foundation collection, of course, uh, also pays tribute to the core technologies that Envy believes all customers deserve. So that's where the naming for foundation comes from, is that we, within the foundation collection, Envy's core technologies are all accounted for. Um, so among those technologies, you know, and we, will, we can also say services, but among them, there's our patented molded spoke hole. So, you know, our, our molded spoke hole technology uh, allows for the rim to be lighter weight. It allows for greater strength. Um, well, it allows for us to have a lightweight rim while not sacrificing strength at the spoke hole. Uh, on the mountain bike side of things, the foundation collection introduces our first uh, molded spoke hole for external nipples. So that's, that's a new, new process, but um, one that uh, delivers additional um, serviceability to the mountain bike wheel. Um, other technologies that we would classify as foundational or core would be our anti-pinch flat um, technology, the wide hookless bead. So all the foundation wheels include this wide hookless bead. So we can talk about that a little bit more. On the road side of things, we believe that aerodynamic efficiency and stability are Again, core technologies or core benefits that we want to deliver to everybody. So regardless of the price point, we feel that, you know, the customer, you deserve to have the best aerodynamics possible. So we didn't hold anything back in terms of the aerodynamic um, gains or efficiencies we were trying to achieve with the foundation wheels. So one of the benefits is we do have, at this point over a decade, developing SES rim shapes at the premium high-end level. And from all that knowledge, we were able to uh, create um, rim shapes for the Foundation Collection 45 and 65 that uh, deliver efficiency that is on par with our premium line of wheels 
as well as uh, crosswind stability, which is you know equally as important in terms of developing rider confidence. Uh, other other elements of foundation that we again are core to all MB products are tubeless. So we really believe in in tubeless on the mountain bike side. Of course, it's uh, sort of the 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 standard at this point. On the road side, um, it's still new to a lot of people, but quickly uh, becoming accepted as the standard as well. So we have optimized these wheels for tubeless applications, and then um, finally a couple you know. Well, finally, all these wheels are still made here in Ogden, Utah. So U.S. made, um, crafted by our by the same people that are making our premium wheels. Uh, so again, it's all about refining the ride quality, purpose-built rims, and and ensuring that there's best-in-class uh, durability and reliability out of these these rim sets. And then finally, not so much a technology, but a service. All of these foundation wheels do. Um, are covered or protected by our five-year limited warranty, which covers all the things that Envy could potentially have screwed up. So whether it be materials or workmanship, um, not that that ever happens, but in the case that it does, no, we're not perfect. And, you know, the five-year warranty is there to protect, uh, protect you from the things that we could potentially screw up. And then we have also what's called Lifetime Incident Protection. It's a program we launched last year. And Lifetime Incident Protection is a program that protects you against the things you might screw up. So you crash your bike, you leave it on your roof, drive it into your garage. Um, it's there to protect you from incidents, you know, that happen when you're riding or living the ride lifestyle. So that Lifetime Incident Protection covers impact damage, crash damage, um, again, things that happen were unexpected um, because you were riding your bike and that is available to original owners. So um, if you do buy an MV wheel set, just make sure you keep your receipts and register your products so that if you do have an incident, we can uh, make sure and take care of you in a timely and speedy fashion. Should we ever have anything there? So that's kind of a quick overview um, to bring you up to speed on what foundation's all about. Again, it's, they're all these wheels are all available and they retail for sixteen hundred dollars US, um, and they are available worldwide in through our various distributors and at these uh, at their local retailers. So I think to kick it off, we'll dive into um, probably the most popular question, which has uh, come about, um, and we'll 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 focus on. I guess what we can do is we can go into these questions maybe across the line. And first thing we can talk about, and maybe Clint can chime in here and dive in, is just about what are the differences or what is it, you know, that we've done differently in terms of the carbon laminates themselves from an engineering standpoint between foundation and our premium SES and M-series wheel lines? Okay, yeah. Uh, maybe start the conversation that way, talking about... Uh, as an engineer here at Envy, when we're given a project, the in the past, the consideration set has never included a price target, um, which um, for better or for worse is le uh, has given us a lot of design freedom as, a, as an engineer. Um, we've, never, we've never been told you need to make a wheel and it needs to cost um, this much and you have to you have to make it work that way. And so we've always, they've always said, hey, we need the best mountain wheel possible for this category. And we have been able to go out and um, design a wheel to meet that need. So this was, uh, 
this was the first time these foundation wells where we've been, we were given that design criteria where we were, we were told, you know, we compared to our current wheels, we need to cut this much of the cost out of the wheel in order to sell it at this price point. Um, and what, what we realized we would have to do is go through, um, go through the manufacturing process and the design process to, to meet those criteria. Um, One of the, uh, I think one of the major misconceptions about carbon fiber is that the material is expensive. Um, and that's because everything you see that's made out of carbon fiber is really expensive. So the material must be uh, black gold in some way. Uh, but that's not really the case. The, the carbon fiber material in its raw form actually isn't, isn't very expensive relatively. Um, I think, you know, prices range from the dollars per pound up to the $50 per pound or just depending on you know whether it's aerospace grade or whatever but um, so in a wheel that's about or in a rim that's about a pound you know the 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 cost of the carbon fiber is in the 20 40 you know kind of dollar-ish range price point so um, the the cost of a carbon fiber rim isn't in the material it's actually in the labor uh, to produce that um, to pr produce that rim. And so um, I think I'm, I've made this invitation before, but if uh, if any of you are ever in Ogden, um, please drop by, ring the doorbell, come on in, and we uh, we can get you a tour through the manufacturing facility. And I think that's usually pretty eye-opening for people to see the number of individual hands and then and the process that uh, goes into each rim. In, in today's world, I think you imagine that you'd walk in the door and there'd be some robot uh, arm, you know, making these things. But uh, here at Envy, we have uh, a lot of people on the floor and there's, uh, you know, five dozen hands that may touch an individual rim as it goes through, it goes through the process. Um, that's from getting the raw material out of the freezer and cutting all the pieces and, uh, and laying it up and putting it in the oven and finishing it and building it into a, uh, the rim into a wheel. So there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of costs associated in each, each one of those steps, and so as an engineering team, we took took a step back and said, okay, how do we uh, not necessarily shortcut any of these steps because they're all necessary, but how do we uh, reduce the amount of time needed at each one of these steps or um, make each of these uh, steps easier uh, for these for these foundation wheels? So one uh, an example of this would be in the layup part of the rim. In a current uh, SES or, um, well, in a non-foundation SES or uh, M-series wheel, the number of piece, individual carbon pieces that go into that rim, it varies, but, I mean, it is in the 50 to 60 piece range. Um, so if you can imagine, some of those pieces are... Uh, 80 inches long and five pieces five inches wide and some of those pieces are a half inch uh, a half inch by a half inch really small and all of those pieces uh, in an SES rim or, or an M-series rim are designed to be exactly what they need to be um, I think the joke goes um, for for an engineer the glass is neither half empty or half full it's just twice as big as it needs to be and so as you as you're thinking about that in the in the design process, each each of those pieces is designed to the shape and the size and put in the place where it needs to be in order to make that rim uh, pass the strength and ride test and weight requirements that we have for the for the wheel. So if um, if it, if that piece doesn't need to be there or it needs to be 
a few millimeters narrower or a few millimeters shorter or uh, a little less thick, you know, a four thousandths of an inch less thick than we, we as an engineering team would um, move those pieces around and adjust those pieces to get exactly what we needed. Um, and all, all of the pieces. So you can see where the, uh, the design matrix or the, the amount of options that we have is on these SES and M-series rims is, is pretty large by the time you say, well, you can adjust the size of 60 pieces. That, that gets pretty... Well, and, I, and just to interrupt you, yeah. I mean, I think that's really where, you know, if we, we recently put out a piece on the M-series just talking about how the last line of M-series was 1,166 prototypes is the title of the article. And I mean, this is how we, this is how that insane number comes to be is because you guys are trimming millimeters here and testing all these unique different laminates, right? To achieve. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we knew if we were going to do something at this price point, we, we, we wouldn't have as much freedom in, in that process. So uh, one of the changes that was made was to change the material we use. Currently, uh, we use a material that's uh, about four thousandths of a mill, four thousandths of an inch thick, 0. 0.004 inches, and uh, that that material is what we would, uh, in the industry call 100 GSM, or it's 100 grams per square meter uh, of material. Um, and in order to do use less pieces on these foundation wheels, we decided to go with uh, a material that is 0. 0.006 inches thick, and that doesn't seem like a big change, but that's a 50 percent increase in. In thickness, that's what uh, would be considered 150, 150 GSM material. Um, but what that allowed us to do was have less pieces of material that would need to go in the mold for the layup operator. So um, you don't get to fine tune it as much. You don't get to say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna change this by a thousandth of an inch here and there." But you you get to get the material in the mold more quickly uh, and possibly less optimized. But um, that that was the the sacrifice we had to make for, for the, for the foundation wheels. Um, also, the number of pieces was uh, reduced because of that. So instead of using, um, you know, that fifty to sixty piece range, we're cutting that down to, um, you know, a number of pieces that you can count on one and a half hand, one to two hands, <laughs> one and a half hands. Um, so uh, the layup time uh, went way down. So. Um, for a normal SES or M series wheel, where a layup operator is is taking you know twenty five to forty minutes to lay to lay up those rims, uh, these these new rims are being laid up in, uh, around in around eight minutes. So, and that that's per rim. That's Correct. per per rim. Okay. So, <clears throat> so with the and the, I guess I should clarify the layup process is a small portion of the full manufacturing process. Yeah. That's where all just the last yeah. pieces of the mold or the last pieces go into the mold. But, um, yeah, that was a, a definite uh, cost driver. So with uh, with fewer pieces of, of carbon material making up the foundation rims, what what does that ultimately do? You said it's, it's not as refined maybe of a ride. Ultimately, what does that net out with someone that's, that's looking at SES versus foundation in terms of weight, um, ultimate ride quality? Uh, how how do how does it affect that? Yeah, I think like Jake was mentioning before, there were certain technologies we weren't able or weren't willing not not able but weren't willing to give up uh, give up in the development of these wheels. I mean, we wanted a, a ride quality that was 
um, similar uh, or better to, or maybe differently tuned than the M series and uh, SES wheels that we already have. We weren't willing to uh, give up on impact strength or durability. But the one thing uh, we said we would uh, allow a little leniency on was the weight. And so um, if you look at uh, our current line of SES wheels, we have uh, the 3.4 and we have the 5.6. And those wheels are, you know, are more, quote unquote, optimized or or weight reduced with keeping the, the strength in the ride feel. Um, with the 45 and 65, those wheels are both slightly deeper than the 3.4 and 5.6, respectively. But um, the weight increase is uh, uh, about 10%. So the 45 is about 10% heavier than the 3.4, and the 6, 65 is about 10% heavier than the 5.6. So, um, yeah, there's about 10% uh, impact to the, to the weight of the wheel set. Yeah, and I think um, as we're talking about, you know, the manufacturing process at this point, I mean, it's, you were talking about the cost of the carbon and, and being a relatively low and it's primarily labor, but there's, all, you know, there's a lot of steps that are involved in, into making a carbon wheel as well. The, you know, one of the major cost uh, drivers is the tooling itself. So the molds um, require a lot of machine time and in many cases, you know, cost exponential or, or exponential in cost compared to the carbon itself. So there's, you know, the, the process, the manufacturing is really an area where we specialize and it's really an area where we put the focus in terms of being able to achieve this new price point for Envy. Um, you know, and, and frankly, this was something, you know, many people have said, oh, Envy should have done this six years ago or why didn't they do this six years ago? We were telling Envy they need to do this six years ago. Um, these are all comments that came through various, you know, media sites when we launched these wills. And the reality is, is that, yeah, sure, we, I mean, could we have done it? Maybe, but not really, because the reality is, is we, you know, we've only been in our new facility for, this is our third, going on our fourth year now. Um, and, you know, the first, you know, prior to being in the facility, we straight up did not have the capacity to manufacture anything more than what we were already making. So, meaning our our demand for the premium SES and M-series line of wheels was, was, uh, was utilizing 100% of our, of our capacity. Um, moving into the new facility uh, was a step towards having um, more, you know, buying ourselves more space and capacity to be able to work towards um, higher volume projects like Foundation. Uh, but it also, you know, it's taken us, you know, moving into a new building. Carbon is a very sensitive manufacturing process. Subtle changes have um, sometimes very painful effects downstream in the manufacturing process. And and Clint could go into details about that, but we'll, we'll bore you with the details there. But needless to say, you know, it takes, it took us a good 18 months to really smooth out and refine the manufacturing, um, you know, the process in terms of like throughput, what's the, you know, what is that, you know, when we moved in the building, there was a lot of ideas that looked really good on paper, but once you're there, you know, you have to refine that and some things work, some things don't. So you're constantly refining that and managing the downstream effects of that to the point where you get, where we have today found a really nice balance and our scrap rates are lower than they've ever been in the history of the company. And all these things have um, eventually built us or built to the point where uh, we could then look at our manufacturing efficiencies and say, Hey, we are now at a point where we do have the capacity where we've hit, we're at the point in time where we can seriously consider introducing a higher volume, um, you know, more affordable price point, uh, 
and and that's that's one of the cool things too about this foundation collection is that it's it's the product itself has been you know um has been uh, purpose built you know to meet you know best in class requirements for this this price point but it's all it's required it's it's the things on the back end that have allowed us to hit that price it's our manufacturing efficiencies that have taken us honestly you know the better part of the last decade to achieve um the learnings we've had over the years and simply having enough of a know-how to 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 do this and you know the other piece is creating enough differentiation and and being able to still provide a lot of performance and a, an authentic product at this price point um that can also coexist with the the technology we're delivering at the premium level and so uh, you know on that note and while we're talking you know about road wheels yeah the weight's a little bit of a penalty so if you're looking you know between um foundation and SES, you know, weight, weight is a penalty, but I think the bigger area where, again, additional cost savings were achieved, but, you know, they're big cost savings on our end, but from a performance standpoint, you're, we're talking minimal um, losses in performance, so to speak, and that would be aerodynamics. And so, you know, with, with SES, we have a lot of options. We have a 2.2, a 3.4, 4.5 AR, 3.4 AR, 5.6, 7.8, all in tubular clincher models, um, disc brake, rim brake. So a lot of variables um, or a lot of different uh, different models and a lot of complexity in terms of our manufacturing and development time. So uh, SES specifically is, um, is two different rims every, for every wheel model. So that's one of the, the main key attributes to SES is that the front and rear rims are developed specifically for you know the position they hold on the bike yeah and even even above that it's uh the front and rear rims are different molds but also the rim brake and in envy's case the rim brake and the disc brake are different molds and then we also do different laminates for every every one of those so it's not just uh, a cookie cutter operation so if you're looking at a three four there are four versions of that there are four versions of that wheel between rim brake, disc brake, clincher, tubular, and there is a front and a rear, and there is a different laminate for each of those. So when we launch one wheel set, we're actually launching eight different or sixteen different laminates for for that for that one wheel. So it gets both in the tooling and in the development cost, and the laminate cost is pretty complex. So yeah, and then and then when you're look when you're looking in terms of aerodynamics, wind tunnel time is not inexpensive. So different rim shapes front to back um the the scope of all the different models def you know the benchmarking all the testing that has to happen of course that also adds up into the development um and r&d costs that go into developing these these premium level wheels but based on this knowledge that we've gained testing these wheels all the wind tunnel time and testing we've invested in over the years we've been able we've built an amazing knowledge base of um rim shapes and efficiencies and uh, essentially the 45 and the 65 foundation models benefit from that. And uh, Clint, maybe you can chime in a little bit about how the, the 45, 65 rim shapes were derived. Yeah. So, and maybe it helps to put it in context on how we've done some of the ones, uh, some of the other wheels in the past. Um, you know, usually in, uh, in developing a new wheel aerodynamically, there's multiple rounds of CFD, um, which is um, a computational fluid dynamics, which you basically model the rim in a computer and you model how the air would flow around it. And that kind of gives you a general idea of 
uh, how the how the wheel might perform in in the real real world. So um, you know you're make you're coming up with these shapes or these iterations, and then you're running them through CFD. And from you know dozens and dozens of shapes, maybe you're whittling those uh, down through CFD to three to five shapes. And then you're making those three to five shapes uh, in prototype, and you're taking those to the wind tunnel. Um, and then you're testing again in the wind tunnel. And then in the wind tunnel, you find out how those wheels might perform in the real world, just like you did in CFD. And maybe you're whittling that down to hopefully one. But I think what we generally find is it's one or uh, one, two, and possibly three different wheels that we actually cut molds for and make carbon parts for and do the, uh, and do the real world ride testing uh, as kind of the final gate for um, performance. That usually takes a lot of money and a lot of time uh, to go through those uh, CFD wind tunnel and ride testing rounds with uh, with this 45 and 65. Um, you know, the of those three, the CFD is probably the least expensive, so we spent more time in uh, CFD for these two wheels, and um, basically took uh, these wheels to the wind tunnel to do uh, kind of a final check and did that concurrently with. Uh, with the ride test, with the ride testing, um, so the number the number of prototypes cut and tested were were less, but um, I don't think that uh, actually greatly affected the end result because we were able to draw on, like you said, Jake, a lot of the pre the knowledge we had from previous uh, rounds of development with the SES wheels. So if you look at the SES uh, arrow charts and the foundation arrow charts, what you'll find is that the forty five and the sixty five line up. Uh, aerodynamically where they should be so um, what we what you find generally with aerodynamic wheels is that the deeper the wheel the more aerodynamic they are that's not always true but um, at least within a manufacturer an individual manufacturer I think you should be able to find that so where the 3.4 is the shallowest 45 is the 45 foundation is the is deeper 5.6 uh, SES is deeper than that and the 65 is deeper than the 5.6 what we see is there is increased um, aero performance with every increase in depth. So that, um, it's not like you're getting uh, a 3.4 and a 45 that have that same aero performance. You're actually seeing an improvement as you go up in depth. So I think, that was a result we were happy with. Yeah, and I think as people have looked at these aero charts and seen how close the 45 and the 65 are to the 78. Um, yeah, you know, of course, with the rim shape, like Clint mentioned, you know, as you go deeper, you generally get more efficient in terms of your drag reduction. What what isn't considered is um, it, what isn't considered or depicted in an arrow chart is, of course, the stability. And one of the major benefits of the SES line compared to foundation, and the re a lot of the reasoning behind the unique rim shapes front to back is the additional stability because the front wheel on an SES wheel is is more skewed in terms of its shaping to achieve a higher level of stability while the rear wheel of an SES wheel or yeah, an SES wheel is to, you know, further eliminate drag. So you, you have these front and rear wheels working in tandem to um, produce a more holistic level of performance, you know, higher level of stability while still achieving a high level of aero performance. So we, we really eke every last bit of like efficiency out of that front wheel on the SES side on, on the foundation. Again, like Clint said, the development is much simpler and the stability is still very high and the wheels ride very nice. And, uh, you know, we would feel confident putting them up against anything um, at any price point that the industry is currently has on the market in terms of their stability and aero efficiency. But again, that's that's really what foundation is all about is is bringing 
high levels of performance and on the road side of course this is you know aero performance stability um, a reasonably light wheel reliability durability and have all those things into a package that is um, you know more you know 90 percent of the performance of the of the wheels that you're going to spend you know a thousand dollars more for so um yeah i'd say on the on the the arrow like what you're saying i mean we're only talking a few watts difference between like yeah i mean one 45 <laughs> and, and uh, you know seven eight so it's it's really minimal i think what's exciting is actually where where we're at with rim technology where the biggest gains are yet to be made and that's something that um both our three four ar um ses wheel and the new foundation have and that's the wide hookless bead and that we've gone all in on the tubeless technology around that and something that we've been pushing for a long time in all of our wheels but the the foundation is kind of that next step i feel that you know with a 21 millimeter internal rim width this is your everyday road wheel set that we've 100 percent committed to tubeless yeah and a lot of a lot of that's a beautiful segue by the way neil that's yeah, beautiful. excellent <laughs> well executed uh we can't go on without acknowledging that. Um, yeah, the wide hookless bead is, you know, technology that we developed uh, back in 2015. It was, we sort of introduced it first on our plus mountain bike wheel, the M640. Um, but we saw that with the lightweight tubeless tire, that it really was effective at reducing the likelihood of a pinch flat. And since that time, we've incorporated it into basically every new wheel we've made. Um, and one of the questions that's come up frequently in the forums has been the use of the 45, the foundation 45 for gravel. Um, you know, with, the, with that technology, the wide hookless bead and given its internal rim width of 21 millimeters, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no reason why you cannot use or why you shouldn't or couldn't use the MV45 for, you know, mixed surface road racing, like Belgian waffle rides, a great example of where that wheel would be a, a perfect, um, option or you know or even gravel riding and using a large volume you know you could you could easily put a 40 millimeter tire on this on this rim um doing so you're going to of course greatly compromise the aerodynamic performance but i mean it it can be done there's there's no reason why you cannot mount a, a high volume tubeless tire on this 45 you know we of course if you're truly getting serious about gravel um you know our g23 is a is a superior rim in every way for gravel applications, given it's super lightweight, it's compliance, um, greater pinch flat resistance, all it's, it's, it's more refined in every way. But if you are looking for a one wheel quiver and this is the price point you're looking to shop in, then you're not going to find a better wheel than the 45. Um, the 65 has the same, um, wide hookless bead anti pinch flat, you know, technology in it. But again, given the depth of the rim, it's, definitely more catered towards the triathlete uh really the triathlete and the breakaway minded road racer rider um, just given the depth and the additional aero efficiency and the additional weight you kind of have to be looking to uh, reduce your your drag coefficient as much as possible if you're looking at the 65 so um other than that tubeless i think we need you know we've talked about the wide hookless bead but we haven't talked about the hookless nature of that bead as well and i think that's an area that we are doing a lot of education and work around lately um so one of the new things with the foundation road wheels is that they are hookless which means they do not have a hook bead a traditional hook bead um 
what that means from a tire application and compatibility standpoint is that your if if you buy a foundation 45 or 65 wheel set you are required to run a tubeless ready or tubeless um, compatible tire if you still want to run inner tubes you certainly can you just need to do so with a tubeless ready or tubeless tire um so why hookless uh in short you know we choose hookless because it allows us to develop a better tubeless system and but i'll let clint uh explain a little bit more about hookless he's the expert on that front so um he can you know one of the, one of the, i guess one of the things that comes up is i've seen comments where you know uh, hookless isn't is not etrto approved or there's no standard for hookless in etrto which is the uh it, governing body basically for rim to tire interface european in, tire european, and rim there you go technical <laughs> organization or something yeah yeah so, yeah, Clint, why don't you sort of expand on that a little bit just to kind of bring everybody up to speed on the status of hookless on road wheels and ETRTO and why we do hookless, et cetera. Yeah, I guess to address the first first question, is hookless uh, ETRTO? And the answer is, as far as I can tell by looking at the ETRTO manual on page R. 41 uh section 28 <laughs> not to be too specific <laughs> not to be not to be too specific or not that i haven't had to look this up a few times there is accommodations for hookless uh cycle wheels uh in etrto and uh, there's dimensions called out and uh, how how one might go about designing in uh, a wheel that is both hookless and compliant with etrto um and we have uh, we have followed and fall within the the guidelines established in ETRTO for uh, hookless hookless rim design. So, um, if I see that in one more comment on the internet <laughs> on the internet, I might uh, yeah throw the book at you. But that it's <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely there. So um, so why why are we doing it? Uh, there there are um, I, I think. Uh, a lot of people might be surprised, uh, a lot of cyclists anyways. I think we're all more familiar with working on our own bikes than we are with working on uh, cars or motorcycles. But uh, if you were to uh, go and uh, take your tire off your car rim, you would find that it is a hookless rim and tire. If you were going to go take your tire off your motorcycle, you would find it is a hookless uh, rim entire interface and so I think there are plenty of examples in, in the world where this uh, hookless uh, design exists and um, well, of course mountain bike rims are yeah and mount, at, at this point five years down the road mountain bike rims that's become pretty uh, standard and acceptable so um, and if without, uh, without a whiteboard behind me as an engineer I, I can't really talk effectively but the, the the way that uh, tires and rims are designed, a tubeless tire and rim on a bicycle or designed to seal does not require a hook bead in order for that seal to, to happen, or at least the way they should be. I um, think that's, I think it's a common misconception with the hookless in general for, you know, the, the typical road cyclist hasn't really delved into this topic at all. So there's this belief that the hook bead is where the seal is happening at. Yeah. And so um, that is, yeah, that's just not the case. What what you see in a hookless tire and rim design is um, the the tire and the rim are designed to have a, 
a stretch fit, if that if that makes sense. Soft so, press fit. Soft, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the tire diameter, the tire, the beads or the wires in the tire are designed to have a smaller dimension than the the than the trough of the rim. And so, as you mount that tire and as you inflate, the tire is stretched and the rim is compressed, uh, and those the in the outside of the rim and the inside of the tire actually uh, are kind of pressed together like as if you had wrapped a rubber band around the outside of the rim. And so that seal doesn't happen on the side of the tire where the hook would be or even on the vertical wall, but it happens on the 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 bottom of the channel or the, the bottom of the tire, if that make if I'm it's, making any sense. If yeah. you look at your rim cross section, it's the shelf. Yeah, the shelf that's on, on that the, rim. The so, edge of the rim. So that's where that seal is designed to happen. And so um, if uh, in ETRTO, it's very specific uh, for a rim manufacturer what the what the dimension of that shelf needs to be uh, to comply with the tubeless standard, um, so that tire manufacturers can design a tire that stretches and fits on onto that rim effectively. Um, there's not as many requirements for the tire manufacturers on how or what they need to do there, but for the rim manufacturer, it's pretty clear um, that for a 29 or a, a 700C style rim that 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 dimension needs to be 621.5 plus or minus 0.5 millimeters. So um, 0.5 millimeters is a, pr- a pretty small window, especially if you're looking at something that's, you know, 622 millimeters across. Uh, and so one thing that the, the hookless design on rims allows us to do is control that diameter really closely. Um, if, if you have a hook design uh, in carbon fiber, you, one of the ways, and I think the ma- majority of companies uh, do it this way, is you need to use a, a rubber um, insert in your mold or in your tooling, your mold, to uh, form the shape in the channel of the rim. Uh, so rubber is hard to control dimensionally. It also changes with temperature. And um, so controlling that dimension with a rubber uh, insert in the mold is, is pretty difficult. With a hookless design, you're able to use uh, metal tooling or the metal mold portion uh, of, the, of the mold to form that surface. And uh, we, what we've seen is with the hookless design, we're able to control that dimension, which with the tire interfaces to point plus or minus 0.1 millimeters, uh, you know, from rim to rim to rim, the first rim to the, the thousandth rim. Um, so what that means for you as a consumer is that you have consistent um, and easy tubeless setup. Um, I feel like tubeless on the road, tubeless on the mountainside, that's that's a no-brainer. And on the roadside, I feel like it's being more, more and more adopted. But for, the, for those of you that don't, uh, maybe tube... An analogy would be tubeless is like getting your your kids. I don't know. I'm coming up with that. For, I'm coming this. up with this as I go. So no, this may no, not be that good. It's no like get, it's like getting your kid uh, through the diaper phase. Yes, um, kind of the initial thing. You're like, why is this? Why are we even doing this? And it's kind of messy. And you're like. Um, You're talking about potty training. I'm talking about <laughs> diapers, not even potty training. But um, so, there, yeah, I think there's kind of this initial bar- barrier to tubeless for road cyclists that uh, maybe there's some misunderstanding, or you know, I don't, you know, that seems really messy. Why would I ever want to do that? But uh, on the other side of it, this there's this uh, life of like 
I don't know, throwing a baseball with your kid in the backyard. <laughs> so what, I, what I'm saying is, you know, you may not know what you're missing out on if you haven't gone to that, gone that uh, tubeless route yet, where, you know, I think I was going, uh, I was planning on like a flat a month, uh, riding my road bike beforehand. And, uh, you know, now I'm seeing more like a flat a year, uh, running, running tubeless. So, um, just the, well, it's really freaking annoying anytime it happens. They tell you that. Yeah, because it doesn't happen, happen very often. It doesn't happen at all. And so when it does, it's really <laughs> it's like freaking annoying. You get complacent. You forget you need a tube and a pump. I think even, even you know, the decreased, um, the lack of flat tires is great. But for anyone anyone that's like really performance-minded and, and racing or just wants to be competitive on the Strava KOMs, whatever you're doing, um, just the decrease in rolling resistance. I mean, that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm that we've been doing with the NTT pro cycling team is working with them on, on tubeless. And you're talking a very traditional pro road team where tubulars have been around for a hundred years and that's what you use. And so as we've seen more, more world tour teams using tubeless for time trials, and then now starting to adopt them for some of the classics. And then, you know, in another year or two, we're going to see, we're going to see a, pretty wide adoption at the very top of the sport so well, if I, we were racing right now we'd be i yeah. mean this weekend i believe last weekend would have yeah. been perry roubaix and that was all the work we did in february you know in northern france with with the team setting them up on the 3.4 ar 4.5 ar um, tubeless and the feedback was was really positive so um, that's where it's all, that's where it's all headed, even at the top of the sport. Well, and at the tire manufacturer level as well, you know, the, the R and D, the development, you know, the focus is on tubeless. And I mean, it, it even shows in terms of, you know, we've had hookless road rims since 2016 when we launched the 4.5 AR. And at that time of launch for that wheel, there was literally only a handful of 28 millimeter tubeless tires that were constructed in a manner such that they could you know maintain their seal on a on a hookless rim and you know today that list so so envy runs a because we sort of led the charge in terms of hookless on the road side of the equation and um, we we developed an in-house tire qualification protocol to ensure that we could recommend um to ensure that we knew and that we could recommend tires that were sure to perform on a hookless um, rim setup. And so, you know, when we launched the 4.5 AR, which is our original hookless road rim, you know, is, you know, it has a, it's aerodynamically optimized for a 28 millimeter tire. And that's the smallest, um, recommended tire size for it. And our original list had three tires on it. I believe that, you know, we had tested that proved to be reliable in terms of maintaining their seal and staying on the rim. You know, today that list is, I think over 30, 30, 35 tires of what that list has on it at this point. And it's not just 28s. It's got 30s and 31s and 32s and in some cases up to a 35 millimeter tire that have, you know, been tested and proven to maintain a seal and stay, you know, maintain retention on a hookless rim. And with foundation, with these new wheels, these hookless, uh, these hookless road wheels, um, the minimum tire size is now 20, well, 24 millimeters for some brands, but generally speaking, a 25 C tire. Um, and we, you know, at launch last week, when we launched these tires, we had over a dozen, I believe 15 is the exact number. We had 15 tires in that 24 to 26 C range that, um, have 
been tested and qualified and, you know, are safe and high performance options that you can run on, on these foundation wheels. So, you know, one of, and that list is growing too. That's yeah, every not day. Just, yeah. Um, Clint, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about the test just briefly, just so people understand what we're looking for in testing why it matters yeah so we do uh four tests in the lab uh for a tire to approve a tire either for the ar line or the foundation line and those are um those are two different uh, sops whether we're qualifying it for ar or whether we're qualifying qualifying it for foundation but uh the four tests are uh first there's a, a stretch test where we inflate the tire on a rim to the maximum uh, recommended value and hold that for 24 hours. And what we find is tires, tires stretch, um, in the first 24 hours while well, they stretch over the life. But, uh, a lot of that happens in the first 24 hours. So, uh, we'll inflate it, uh, leave it overnight for 24 hours, and then we'll do dimensional testing and measure the, the, the rollout, the width, the height, uh, anything in the weight, anything we need to know about the dimensional uh, size of the tire. The next uh, test is a bead stiffness test where we take the tire and on uh, an Instron or a calibrated uh, machine that we can pull and know exactly how hard we're pulling. Um, we uh, measure the stiffness of the beads of the tire or the, the wires in the tire for both the drive and the non-drive side of the tire um, just to see what the manufacturer has done as far as making that tire stiff or how stiff that bead is as well as what diameter it was designed at. So, um, so in your analogy earlier, you talked about, you know, an elastic band, you know, pressing against the rim. That's what we're measuring. We're measuring how stiff that elastic band is, how strong that, how much tension is in that elastic band. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned before, ETRTO specifies really clearly what a rim has to be uh, dimensionally, but they don't, they don't specify that for a tire. They kind of leave that up to the tire manufacturer. So um, we'll see, we'll see tires between different manufacturers that vary um, in diameter by four millimeters or, or so. Right. So some manufacturers say, well, we're going to make a really small tire that's really flexy and other uh, manufacturers say we're going to make a, a large tire, a large diameter tire that's really stiff. And when those are mounted to the rim, they end up at the same dimension because the, the small stretchy one stretches out and the big stiff one doesn't, doesn't move. So, um, but there, there's that freedom on the tire side. So w one thing we're doing is, is measuring that, um, for, for the tires to figure out, you know, where, what are these different design philosophies between the different manufacturers? Um, and then the fourth test is a blow-off test where um, we put the we mount the tire to a rim and put it in a, a blow-off a chamber and we uh, start at uh, I believe 50 psi and we go up in 10 psi steps every 10 seconds so 50 psi 60 psi 70 psi and we you uh, inflate for 10 seconds and then hold for 10 seconds inflate for 10 seconds and hold for 10 seconds. And go up basically until the, the tire comes off the rim. Um, and usually when that happens, either the bead of the tire has broken. Sometimes the the explosion is, is so loud that the hub internals pop out of the hub. I mean, this, this is a pretty drastic, um, tr pretty drastic test. We've... Um, makes me that one time we did this test for a fat bike wheel when we were developing the fat bike wheel and it wouldn't fit in the chamber so we put it out on the the lawn that's right and ran a hundred foot arrows out there and blew this up and i, I can't remember what the pressure was 40 30 psi 40 psi <laughs> but it basically 
at when the tire came off this rim, it launched the rim and the tire 15 feet in the air. At least. Yeah, yeah just like least. straight up in the air, and you could see like the shock wave um, <laughs> kind of just travel outwards on, outward on the grass in all directions. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is a really violent test. And when, uh, even though it's in a, uh, a a converted deep freeze uh, chamber in the in the test lab. You can hear this uh, across the building. So definitely moves the floor. Definitely <laughs> moves the floor. Um, you feel it. So the um, lo- those are the four tests, and and basically what we're looking for for passing is um, and the, the only real pass fail portion of the test is the is the blow off, um, and then we're just using the other information for. Uh, internal purposes and for correlating the, the data, but um, did I miss one, Clint? I, I count three: the blow-off test, bead stiffness, and stretch. The, a dimensional. Oh, dimensional. Yep. Got it. Um, so yeah, I use the term test loosely, maybe protocols or, or something. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's a really only. It's like a it's a test with four questions, but the teacher's only going to grade the fourth one. So go into the pass fail criteria. So on the blow off um, for the the blow off, we record that blow off pressure, or, or, and we record the last pressure held for ten seconds. And so what we require is that that uh, pressure that was held for ten seconds um, be higher than either one yeah. and a half one and a half times the one and a half times the max pressure on the, the rim lowest. or. Th- Rim or tire, whichever is lowest. Yeah. So yeah. So if the if the tire says it has a max psi of one hundred, we require, and the rim says it has a max psi of one hundred, we require that that tire stay on until one hundred and fifty psi or one point five times the pressure. If they if those numbers are different, if the tire and the rim don't have the same blow off pressure, say the or say maximum pressure, so the tire. Uh, max pressure listed on the tire is 100 psi, but the max pressure on the rim is listed at 80 psi, like it is on our AR rims. Then um, we require 1.5 times whatever is the lowest. So if the rim is 80 psi, 1.5 times 80 is 120, and the tire is 100, 1.5 times 100 is 150. We require that the tire hold 120 psi for 10 seconds rather than the 150 psi for 10 seconds. Yeah. So if you're the owner of a four point or four, if you're the owner of an AR SES AR wheel um, or a new foundation wheel, you know, pay attention to the max tire pressures on those rims. AR is a max pressure of 80 psi for the rim. Um, for the new foundation collection, the 45 and 65 have a max pressure rating of 90 psi. Um, and that, that higher pressure ratings given the lower volume of the inner rim width, as well as the intended use of, you know, 24 to 26 C tires on it. Yeah. So it allows you to go a little bit higher in pressure. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about tire pressure for a second? Is yeah. that fair game? Um, yeah, I think for some people hearing that there is a max tire pressure of 90 PSI that may, that may be alarming. Um, I think we maybe all grew up uh, riding and, you know, you'd go into a bike shop and you'd see a tire and say, oh, that tire has 140 PSI max rating. That must be the, the best tire on the wall. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I remember even, uh, you know, in my teens picking routes uh, where I was going riding, picking routes based on where they had, where it had been the longest since they chip sealed that road. If a, if a road had been chip sealed in the last yeah. year, you would not you were not riding that road because you're on a 21 C tire yep. and you're running 125 psi in your tires, 
and you, you just couldn't you couldn't ride those roads. Now, fast forward till today to today to today, you have you know everybody's running a twenty five or a twenty eight, and hopefully you're riding it tubeless. And that, as long as it's paved, I don't know that you even think about how rough a road is going to be anymore. Even when it isn't paved, sometimes it's like, oh, it's, it's a smooth dirt road. We'll be, we'll be fine. You seek out the rough ones now. Yeah, Neil seeks out the rough ones and drags us behind him. Um, so there's the... I think that the lag for people to change their tire... Pre- or the, the willingness for people to change their tire pressure is lagging behind their willingness to change tire size. So as we've gone from 21 to 23 to 25 and then even to 28 in some cases, you know, we, we've increased the tire size by 50, 40 to 50%, but we have only decreased the tire pressure by 5, 10, you know, we're, we're still thinking this, the same. Uh, and then we've also changed from tubes to, to tubeless, like Neil said, and that, that's a whole different uh, change. So, um just maybe a pull around the room. I think on in a 28C tire on an on an AR rim for Envy, I'm I'm running 45 psi in the front and 50 psi in the rear, and I, I don't know that that's maybe a few psi off from other people in the room, but yeah, I'm I'm low 50, so probably 52 front, 54, 55 in the rear on yeah. on the same setup, 28C yeah. on a 3.4 AR. Yep, 50, I, I kind of 50, 55. Yeah, okay. And then, AJ? Low 40s, I, yeah, it feels awesome. Yeah, it, it feels like it, it just takes all of the road buzz out and you really uh, don't see any negatives on the rolling resistance side or the, or the squirminess in corners kind of side. And then even in a 25, I think what we're finding is people can run um, 65 to it, yeah, 75 in the in the yeah. 60s just yeah. just fine um, yeah, and we're, we're not all like race lightweights here I'm, I'm 180 and we've got some 140 and up and kind of in between here so I mean I think it's just important that people understand the the function of volume as it relates to tire pressure and you know tire volume's gone up substantially over the years even a 25c tire on it on this foundation 21 is going to measure close to 27 26 and a half millimeters across so i mean it's it's a fairly high volume tire compared to the 23s of the past um and then again you know the 28 on a 45 ar or on an ar series wheel with 25 internals is going to be measuring 29 to 30 and a half depending on the tire so again you know is these volumes even though we're talking these low pressures if you were just do the pinch test you know, the pinch test on a 23C tire at 110 PSI or 100 PSI is going to feel the same as a 28 on this AR series wheel at 60 PSI and it's going to feel the same as 75 PSI on a foundation wheel or something like that. So um, don't be don't be alarmed by high tire pressure or by, sorry, by <laughs> low max tire pressure ratings, you know, as far as what you're used to because there's more volume in these rims and we're running higher volume tires. So, you know, saying 90 PSI is a max tire pressure today on this rim would be like saying max PSI was 130 on the rims of old, so to speak. So, yeah, I think, um, I think one of the great things is like we have a, we have a tire, we have a resource on envy.com, um, envy.com backslash tire pressure. And it, it has a breakdown of recommended pressures based on, um, rim width. So if you already have an NV model, it, it 
it's broken down with NV, NV models. But if you have something, another another wheel brand, and you know what the inner rim width is, you can you can figure out where you should be. Um, it's also uh, based on tire width and rider weight. Um, and it really, it's a really nice guide to find kind of a, a range to begin working on. So in most situations, I mean, we, we had this chart at all the events that we went to last year, a lot of gravel events, sea otter is one of them with our air stations and just really got people talking and thinking about tire pressure and, and how it impacts um, the ride quality and and just the overall performance and so go on there check it out and start start experimenting I think you'll be surprised yeah and then the second the second uh, piece of that is in the same in the same area there so if you go under the, go to the website and click on it's the learn tab correct yep. yeah so if you click into the learn tab you'll see the one one tout that says tire pressure and the one next to it has tire compatibility so if you have any questions or doubts or yeah, inquiries about whether or not a tire is safe to use or approved for use on the wheel set you have. You can click that tire compatibility chart, click into the family of wheel that you're looking to see or learn about. And we have everything in there from the new foundation wheel to G-Series, M-Series, SES, and SESAR. We have um, all of our tire recommendations or suggestions as they relate to max tire pressures and or tire compatibility there. So make sure and uh, check that out to make sure you have... Um, all the knowledge you need to have the best ride experience on either these new foundation wheels or an existing NB wheel set that you're currently riding. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think we've pretty much covered anything else you guys can think of in terms of the foundation road wheels that we need to talk about. I think so. I think we're, that covers it. You've made me talk enough for a whole week. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. kick us off all right so we've we've talked enough about road for the moment so let's uh talk about the other third of the foundation collection which is our new am30 so um you know we've talked a lot about how there's differences between we talked all about the differences between the ses and the foundation road um let's talk a little bit now yeah about the the mountain side of the equation and the differences between m series which is our premium line of mountain wheels and the new AM30, you know, as mentioned earlier, the AM30 is our, um, again, it throws a nod back to the original everyday rideable carbon mountain wheel, which was the Edge or NVAM. Um, and that was really what we were looking at in terms of what this wheel was targeted to accomplish, right? So if we look at the M series, and this is maybe a good place to kick it off, there's a lot of options within the M series line. We, we talked about all the options and different rims we have to build and iterate on in the SES roadside. Uh, the mountain side is equally as complex in a lot of ways. We have, um, you know, those familiar with Envy, which I'm assuming all four of you listening are, <laughs> that uh, we have M5, which is cross country, M6 is trail sort of heavy duty cross country light duty trail um m7 which is you know more for heavy heavier trail use light enduro sort of gravity applications and then you have m9 which is for all gravity downhill racing enduro racing um, those sorts of applications so there's four wheel families and then within those we have multiple rim widths you know with the six and seven well the six series wheels we have a 630 which is a 30 internal and we have a 35 internal a 40 internal 
And then across all these different internal rim widths, we also have 27.5 and 29-inch diameter rims. And so when it all rolls out, I believe we have 17 unique rims that we're making. We have... Yeah, yep. Clint's counting on his fingers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, so it's, there's 17 unique um, rim models. So each one of those rims has its own, um, you know, R&D and development effort, its own, you know, all the lab testing, the ride testing, everything is, is a whole thing. So um, when we're looking at foundation, we're saying, okay, what is it that the foundation mountain customers really looking for? Um, you know, what is it we need to deliver? And more than anything, we're, we're looking at this saying we need – uh, to deliver as many of the core MV technologies as possible. So again, this rim features the wide hookless bead, which is to, of course, aid in pinch flat reduction, um, which is really important on the mountain bike side of things because it is, you know, you, you're, the air in your tires, your number one, you know, defense against impacting the carbon rim on hard objects and, you know, potentially damaging it. So um, that that's one area we focus. But I kind of, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. We were talking about options. And so with, with foundation, we've also reduced the number of options available down to one wheel model that is meant to serve, you know, everybody that's to Clint's always happy to remind me that yes, as we just pointed out a 27, five and a 29 inch <laughs> rim are two completely different developments. <laughs> um, but we are, we have these two rim models 27.5 and a 29 inch model of the m30 but they're they're both built to sort of span the spectrum between your basically all your trail to light gravity applications so um it, it's one wheel that's basically doing um everything that the m6 and m7 are um that you know those wheel models are designed to do uh so clint i don't know if maybe you want to kind of kick us off a little bit and talk about um you know, in the same way we talked about the number of plies and things we changed with the road wheels, we could talk about what we've done on the AM30. And also we can get into a little bit the rim shape itself because that's a major change and departure from sort of the shapes that the M-Series currently has. Yeah, I think uh, as we talked about the road wheels um, and even kind of the mountain wheels earlier in the podcast, just the number of uh, plies that may go into an SES or an M-Series wheel, uh, that's and how we reduced the, the both the thickness and the number and the maybe the optimization of each of those each of those pieces um, on the 45 and 65 that same uh, uh, method and philosophy was was carried out or carried through on the am uh, am 30 um, on the I think kind of a cool technology we have on the m525 and the m630 uh, and 635 is the the individual reinforced spoke holes so in uh in those lighter weight mountain wheels we have a process and part of the layup is cutting pieces that are one inch by one inch or well sorry 0.6 by 0.6 inches and placing those over the top of where every every spoke hole will be molded um and so for a 24 hole rim, there's 24 individual little patches, and for 28, there's 28 hole in there's 28 individual patches, and those go specifically where the spoke holes will be in the rim because that uh, where the spoke is pulling on the rim re- needs to be reinforced. Um, and so, on those wheels, we realized you know you don't need to necessarily reinforce the the area between the spoke holes as much as you do the individual spoke holes. So we said, well, 
let's not reinforce the whole spoke face all around as if we were just going to drill holes willy nilly. Let's uh, reinforce just the, the, the places that we need where we're going to be um, molding those spoke holes. Um, but that, once again, that involves a lot of uh, cost and labor. Um, so that's, that's something we went away from on, on these wheels and uh, just made that reinforcement continuous uh, around the entire rim, which would be similar to uh, what other manufacturers are doing. Yeah, so I mean, a common theme, you know, with with the full, whole foundation collection is that we have been willing to um, sacrifice a little bit in terms of weight savings and just general refinement to the, the rim itself um, in order to keep uh, costs within a range that allow us to offer these wheels at the $1,600 price point. Um, yeah, from a... You know, but looking at the M30, you know, we, we just thought we highlighted sort of an area where we where there's a major difference between, say, an M series and, a, and the AM30. But one of the areas we were not willing to compromise was, of course, like the performance on the trail and the durability of the rim. You know, um, again, regardless of the price point, we, you know, for mountain wheels, we believe that, you know, all riders on an MV wheel deserve best in class durability and reliability. So, you know, that was one of the, the goals we set. Um, you know, the goals that we didn't want to compromise on were, were those were the impact strength of the rim. Uh, we needed this rim to impact and have durability that was on par or better than what we currently offer with, well, with our M7 series wheel. And again, the weight was an area where we were sort of willing to compromise a little bit in order to have that strength and durability. And then from a ride quality standpoint, we, we have, uh, we, we wanted to, you know, acknowledge that there's a there's a demand and um, there's a demand and there's the ability nowadays to make uh, carbon rims more compliant. You know, in the past, um, and we've been pro- we've been slowly making progression uh, towards finding a you know more balance between rim compliance and rim stiffness um, because there you can have too much of both for sure. And so we're looking at how to too much or too little of both, and we're looking how to strike that perfect balance between. Or what is that refined or ideal balance between, you know, the lateral stiffness, the cornering, um, you know, or I'm sorry, your, you know, like your response to acceleration to braking, um, you know, how the wheel tracks through, say, rock gardens um, versus how much it deflects and how much it's absorbing the trail and looking to find that balance. And, uh, you know, from and we've also been aided in the fact that we have. Uh, bracing angles from boost and super boost hubs now that allow us to not have to make such stiff rims. So in the first generation M series, um, it was admittedly very, um, they were very stiff rims and that was intentional. We were, we were building rims to be as stiff as stiff and also as strong as possible um, in order to compensate for lackluster bracing angles that we were having that, that were with 142 spacing 135 or 142 spacing boost came along it allows us to re um redeploy fibers in the wheels to do different things so you know with the latest generation m series we did make the rims more compliant we lightened them we also strengthened them because there was less material required to have you know torsional stiffness in the rims um or different stiffness elements in the rim torsional lateral um, vertical compliance sort of elements and then um, you know, in that time, we've also we've continued to research and um, test ride and see developments that are happening. And um, you know, where before the main focus with carbon rims has been all about making a rim that's really durable and you know making it stronger, durable, more impact resistance. Now 
we are making rims that are pretty much as durable as we need to, or we can make them as durable as they need to be. You know, our M9 series wheel is, you know, people, if people are looking for a near indestructible carbon rim, you know, the M9 is pretty much where it's at. Just, you know, durability or impact strength is in a lot of cases a function of weight and how robust you want your rim to be. But, um, but the point is, is that we have a really good handle and understanding on how to make rims super strong and durable. Uh, with with that understanding, we are now sharpening the pencil and, and everybody's digging into more of what, how do we improve the actual ride quality? Like what, what, what characteristics um, do we want out of a, out of a carbon rim? And we, some of the work we've been doing over the years is, well, a lot of the work we've been doing since the launch of the last generation M series has manifest itself with the new AM30. Yeah. Um, I, as, uh, as we've gone through the, the development, I think what we've realized is there's, um, in the rim, there's two ways you can affect the stiffness. One of those is the laminate, you know, how you put those pieces in, what angles the fibers are at, how many pieces you put in, um, how, you know, how, how much it weighs. The, the other way to kind of influence the stiffness of a rim is the, the geometry. So if you make, um, so something really wide but really thin it wants to flex in one way but not the other way right and so uh as we even with the last generation of m-series what we did was reduce the depth of all of the mountain wheels to the minimum that they could be with our uh, internal nipple system because we knew that would influence uh the the vertical compliance or the the trail feel um <coughs> Uh, but we also went through at the same time and did laminate uh, development in a way where we uh, said adjusted adjusted fiber angles and uh, adjusted laminates so those wheels were as, as vertically compliant while still maintaining the the torsional and the lateral stiffness that we, we wanted in the wheels. So um, in this uh, AM30, we've taken it one step further, uh, realizing that if we wanted more compliance out of the rim, the best uh, bang for our buck would be uh, adjustments to geometry. Um, and doing that, we knew we had to um, move the nipples out, outside of the rim uh, just because there wasn't the space. If the rim got any shallower, there, there wasn't any space to have the, the nipples internally. And um, doing that makes the rim compliant trail fill-wise, but what we had to do was figure out a new way to, uh, to mold those spoke holes. So our spoke holes... Um, have typically been molded uh, just so the, the spoke will fit through. And now with an external nipple, we had to have the, the, the nipple fit through. So that was a new system for us. But uh, we are still molding those, those spoke holes, uh, which is important to us uh, because it, it lets us have spoke hole strength that's uh, higher than um, other competitors while still maintaining a, a, a low weight. Um, but we knew with this external molded hole, we would still have to add a little bit of weight over the internal nipple molded hole, if that makes sense. So smaller hole, it has less stress than the larger hole. So even though they're still molded, we required more weight, but we were willing to make that, that compromise on this wheel to slightly increase the weight to get that uh, additional vertical compliance out of the rim. Yeah, so with, um, yeah, so with all of our mountain wheels, we... we go through a series of lab testing just like any of our wheels that uh, we do a qualification on so um you know that test 
the testing we do involves, you know, the stiffness testing that we've talked about, as well as uh, multiple impact tests. So we have an impact test that we refer to as our standard impact test. And this is a test that um, you fixture the wheel in the test fixture and you drop a mandrel on it that strikes or impacts both sides of the rim. So both leading hookless beads of the rim at the same time. Um, and so it's, it's kind of... Uh, mimicking the hard geout type compression, square edged hits. So if you were like to run into a stair, that's the, you know, you run into the stairs or a case of jump or tag a log, you know, something like that. Um, those are the sorts of impacts that a standard impact test is most uh, likely to replicate. And then um, back in 2013, 14, we developed a, a new impact test that we refer to as the single sided impact test. And this is a test that only just as the name implies strikes one side of the rim so it it isolates either the left the driver non-drive left or right side of the rim and impacts it so these are going to be more these are the these are the impacts that we more commonly see to, that create damage actually out on the trail so this is going through a rock garden uh, hitting roots just things that the asymmetric impacts that tend to slightly side load and focusing on just one edge of the rim and so these two tests we have a, an incredible database of um, both competitor data, so taking all the rims that are available in the aftermarket over the last decade of testing, as well as um, you know our prototypes and the things we try to um, achieve best-in-class impact, strength, and durability. And Clint and I were looking over the numbers just to see how many different iterations, because I believe one of the challenges we were facing as we transitioned to this shallower rim cross-section was getting the impact um, values up where we wanted to be to be to basically be leading the industry in terms of its impact strength. Yeah, just kind of the the process was trying to balance that uh, ease of layup that we talked about earlier with the least number of pieces and easiest to lay up as possible while still maintaining the strength and, and just going through the iterations on those to figure out um, how to do that, basically. How many would we net out in terms of the count? So we had about 40 different proto level prototype levels. Um, so 40 different uh, ways we tried to make the rim, and we made about 100 rims. So, you know, two and a half of each, or two and a half on average of each of those. Pros. Yeah, I, I think a lot of, I, I think some of the fun comments that come out through the, uh, one of those popular mountain bike websites, not to be named specifically, but, uh, you know, somebody was like, oh, coronavirus struck, and because of the pandemic, it's, you know, Envy felt the need that they have to launch, a, uh, they need to launch, less expensive wheels and it's like yeah this this is i mean we are super dynamic as a u.s manufacturer we can we can bring product to market super fast but not in two weeks or three weeks <laughs> i mean these projects are ones that have taken months and months um you know to like clint said there's 40 40 different ways we tried to make the rim before we finally landed on the final production model of that and you know what's really exciting about it is yes we you know it's it's at a very competitive weight it's a new rim shape that we really like the ride filler we can talk about that here and i'll hear a bit more in a in a second and and then from a from an impact and durability standpoint it's it is extremely strong and we you know we, we don't expect to see part you know any of these back really i mean the, and that's that's kind of the beauty of you know you, you you get on the internet and you look at you know you look up broken wheels or carbon you know and there's plenty of there's plenty of information out there about broken carbon wheels um 
the reality is, is that it's just not a, it's not a common occurrence for 99% of our customers. Literally, we see less than a 1% return rate on, on our M series. And we, again, like I mentioned earlier, the focus as far as durability is, it's still important. And we're definitely trying to maintain our position as best in class in terms of rim strength. Um, but in, in terms of the reality, you know, the people out there are not breaking rims. But when you consider the, the quantity of rims that are being sold, if there's, you know, 50,000 people in the world that are riding a carbon rim, an MV carbon rim, even at that, and you take 1% of those people, it, it can sound like a really big number on the internet. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, impact durability or impact and strength and reliability is, is priority number one with any mountain wheel development. Um, and then of course, ride quality and you know, the Foundation M30, just like M-Series, is protected by our is lifetime incident protection. So, you know, we have enough confidence in our product and we, we know what the reality is, is in terms of uh, the likelihood of somebody having an issue with the rim. And so we feel confident being able to offer the these programs between the warranty and the lifetime incident protection. Uh, you are covered in the incidents that you are one of the unlucky who managed to break a rim out on the trail. Um you know, so part of our testing is ride testing. You know, we do have the lab data, which has been super valuable in showing us, um, you know, how strong the rim is going to be. It's also been super effective. So one of the things I felt to mention was that the single-sided impact test we do, that um, what a, th those single-sided impact results match about 95% of all the impact returns we see um, in terms of, like, comparison to real-world sort of damage. Um, but we also, in this test, have developed our pinch flat testing protocols as well. So, um, you know, when we first started doing the single-sided impact test, what you'd see is, you'd, you know, you impact the rim at, you know, the first height, the second height, and then, the, you know, the third drop or the second drop or whatever it was, you would pinch flat the tire that you were testing with. Uh, and so we started recording the height at which we pinch flat a tire. It's just basically a note inside the, in the test um, the test notes for each each test that was performed and so you know when we when we um started doing the development for the last generation m series we had a robust database of of pinch flat performance from both our competitors wheels as well as the rims we were making in our prototypes so you know we've we've introduced two technologies to help in one case, eliminate pinch flats and in another mitigate. And in the case of the AM30, we have the wide hookless bead, which is the super wide leading edge um, on the rim, which provides a broader surface for which the tire can bottom out against. And it just prevents the, the rim itself from cutting through the tire um, under hard impacts on, you know, the, the M series has on the seven and nine series wheels has what we call the protective rim strip. Um, those strips are super cool. They eliminate the need for tip or for tape. They make so you don't have to tape your rim, setting it up tubeless. Uh, and they 100% eliminate pinch flats. The reason they didn't make it into the AM30 is simply the cost to produce them. They're, they're, they're extremely hard to make and costly to make, um, believe it or not. And so for, for that reason alone, they, they didn't quite make the cut in terms of uh, being able to make it to the foundation level wheels. But we also realized that the wide hookless bead for the majority of our customers um, and for the majority of riders, uh, ourselves included, provides sufficient enough pinch flat protection to um, make a meaningful difference. So 
you know, again, the wide hookless bead technology is one that we believe strongly enough in that we needed to include it in the AM30 wheel sets. So, uh, you know, so when I was going into earlier, we were talking about ride testing um, in January. Yeah, January, we took a crew and we went down to uh, Las Vegas to Boulder City and uh, we went to Bootleg Canyon. So anybody that used to attend Interbike way back in the day and do dirt demo is familiar with the area. And if you've ever been unlucky enough to uh, crash your bike or have to attend mm-hmm. the or go to the Boulder City uh, emergency room, which I have accompanied more than one ride or two during Interbike dirt demo, uh, <laughs> it's during dirt demo that emergency room is full of uh, of riders eagerly awaiting stitches. <laughs> and it's just unforgiving terrain. It's uh, a, the sharpest rock that at least it's within a six hour drive of where we live. <laughs> um, it's, it's unforgiving and it's a very aggressive uh, place to ride a bike um, just because everything is sharp. The cactus, there's cactus, there's lava rock. It's all sharp. Um, and it, it wreaks havoc on real on rims and tires for that reason. So, you know, we, Unfortunately, it's the closest warm place to go ride, and it is pretty fun. So we go down there um, often in in the throes of winter. When it's winter up north, we, we go down south, and we can usually find some warm riding in, in Las Vegas there at Boulder City. So we, we went down in January to do some ride testing, and we took a slew of competitor wheels. We took uh, M-Series wheels, and we took these AM30 prototypes, and, and we had our way with all of them, and, it, you know, this is – this is the kind of ride testing that we do. And um, we generally like to do back-to-backs to ensure that we have really consistent, uh, you know, that we're, we're both familiar with the trails we're riding and then also, you know, to compare apples to apples in terms of, you know, how a wheel um, fills and handles. And uh, one of the things we were really working on on this particular ride test was just the rim shape itself and trying to, decipher you know what is the right amount of compliance out of a rim um you know on on one end of the spectrum we have we were testing you know the zip the new zip wheel the single ply or single rim wall what's that thing called the moto 30 threes yeah moto um so we're testing that wheel which is a unique rim it's a single wall rim so it's super um compliant um and then you know, I guess if you wanted to look at, you know, and then a slew of other wheels that are more traditional, um, you know, s- wheels like our M730 that are, you know, a, a double wall rim and it's definitely sit on this potentially stiffer end of the spectrum and then the AM30. And so we're really riding a bunch of different wheels to understand sort of where they land in the compliance standpoint. And, um, you know, one thing, I guess, I think one major takeaway is there's not necessarily a single answer for every rider. In terms of performance, there's a lot of subjective sort of preferences based on riding style and rider weight that comes comes with different rim shapes. I don't know. What would you say about that, Clint? Yeah, I don't know that any of us left the test with the same favorite wheel. I think that we all had different wheels we dislike. Well, or even polarized, really. It's like, yeah, yeah felt like we could ride any of those wheels. And I mean, I think the one standout was if you're a bigger rider, the more compliant the wheel was the, and the larger you are as a rider, the less likely you are to like that wheel. Yeah. Um, 
And on the reverse of that, the lighter, if you're like a super light rider and you're on one of the stiffer wheels that have been made, then uh, it's, it becomes really imperative that you get your tire pressure right. Um, otherwise, the wheel can feel too stiff. But, I mean, for the most part, I think, I mean, me, myself, I'm about as average as they come, both in my abilities and my, my size and weight. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for a, I'm, I'm a pretty average-sized guy, and I, I sort of feel like I can get um, the ride quality I want out of, you know, a wheel that, that is as burly as our M930, as well as out of, like, the Zip Moto, which is, you know, complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of its, you know, flex profile. But I felt like ultimately the AM30, and this was kind of our goal, was that it strikes a really nice balance um, between compliance and uh, responsiveness, I guess. There's response and support. Support maybe, maybe yeah. is a good word, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, that, uh, yeah, that test was really meaningful because we, you know, we were able to test a bunch of different um, rim designs, rim shapes, and really honing on what, what sort of ride characteristics we um, wanted to achieve with the new AM30. And I think we met all of our goals. It's, it's the most compliant rim we've made to date, I would say. Um, At least in that category. In that category, for sure. Yep. Um, is it, uh, you know, people are going to ask, like, how does it compare to a 730 or a 630? Um, my personal opinion is, you know, it's definitely more of a 730 rim than a 630. The 630 is a very light and because of the things we do from a construction standpoint, a very refined rim, I don't. What would you? Yeah, it's in my mind. It's a it's a seven thirty, not replacement, but it's on that same level. Both uh, from the weight standpoint, and the durability standpoint, and the yeah, so I, um, kind of the ride ride feel. Yeah, so I guess if you're a rider that really prioritizes, if you're really looking for a trail option that is lightweight. And, you know, a very, if you're looking for maximum weight savings, sort of that, the ultimate balance between lightweight and durability and sort of no holds barred performance, the M6 series wheels are going to deliver that. Um, no questions asked. It's, it's a lighter wheel. Um, it, it rides very nice, you know, it, and if you're a guy that likes to climb, if you're not hard on equipment, um, you know, there's definitely benefits to have and achieve by that you'll experience by riding the six series wheels. Um, you know, if you're a seven series guy who, you know, you, you ride really aggressively, spend a lot of time shuttling, but you're still looking for a wheel that's able to be pedaled uphill. I mean, this is where it gets to be a little bit more of a gray area between whether or not you should be an AM30 customer or a um, seven series customer. And ultimately it really should come down to just what's your budget and what can you spend? Because again, the AM30 was, is a $1,600 wheel set and it's, um, you know, it's designed to deliver all the sort of durability and strength that uh, the 7 Series wheel provides. Um, if you're a guy that does tend to pinch flat tires a lot, if you do, so if you're really hard on tires, if you've been forced to run inserts, um, if you're forced to run DH casing tires, any of the like, like you really should be looking at an M7 or 9 Series wheel because the protective rim strip will eliminate pinch flats for you. It will eliminate the need to run inserts and it could potentially allow you to run a, a casing um, durability rating down. And the same goes for the AM30, you know. Uh, you might have been running a, another brand's uh, mid-price point carbon wheel or, or even a less expensive carbon wheel. 
Um, but we've never really felt good about, you know, selling a, a premium wheel and then, you know, have, and then for a customer to feel like they have to run a, a heavy casing tire with a higher tire pressure or an insert in it. Um, because regardless of how you look at it, running inserts or running inserts adds weight, it's rolling, it's, it's, uh, it's rotational weight, that's what I was looking for. And the same goes for um, r- having to run a heavy casing tire. So if you're doing things like running inserts or running heavy DH casing tire or running higher than normal pressure just to prevent a pinch flat, um, it, it's definitely worth looking at, you know, the AM30 or, you know, one of the M-series wheel models because the they are, they are built to allow you to remove sort of the excess to get down to the ride, that, to, to tune the ride that you're looking for. Uh, and then the AM30, again, like if it's a step toward it's a step in the direction of greater compliance in terms of its ride fill and um, really striking that balance between so, sort of the, the ride compliance um, maintaining responsiveness without sacrificing durability so that about covers it don't you think boys yeah I mean we're excited about the foundation collection. As you can see, you know, it's, it's kind of been a rambling discussion around the new features and benefits around the foundation collection. I mean, the main takeaways at this point are that it's, it's uh, every wheel in the foundation line is purpose built uh, to perform at the highest level. So just because it's at a lower price point, it doesn't mean that it's lower performance. It is simply not uh, the ultimate level of refined performance that you get out of our premium wheel lines. Um, it's 1600 bucks and it's available at, envy.com and through our distribution and retail partners around the globe. Um, if anybody has any questions about the foundation collection, feel free to reach out to us directly. Uh, our customer service team is a phone call away and you can email them just as easily info at envy.com. And for anybody that has uh, stuck around with us for more than one or two episodes of the podcast, um, you know, they, they, uh, the, the purpose of the podcast is to uh, provide information to you that you want to know and learn learn more about Envy and sort of the inner workings of Envy as a brand. We are trying to keep things um, pretty basic. Uh, we do not have a really strict uh, rollout schedule in terms of the content we're putting out, but we are trying to do a regular release of a podcast. And so we're always looking for ideas and feedback and ways we can be better and for topics to discuss. So if anybody has feedback or information um, or, or request for information that you would like us to cover, uh, we do have an email address that is podcast at envy.com. So shoot us an email and we will, uh, we'd be happy to address those topics in greater depth on future episodes. Yeah. yeah if all four of the listeners would submit one <laughs> question, we would have That'll a full month's worth. for a month's worth of content. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.